All right, so it's Palm Sunday. So we're going to talk about Jesus, son of David, starting in 2 Samuel 7. <laughs> That's been the whole point the whole time, right? That we would be talking about the son of David and what that means and who he is. So the funny thing about 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that pretty much all Bible scholars agree that it's in the wrong spot. That if you're looking at David's life chronologically, the very first sentence of 2 Samuel chapter 7 shows that it didn't happen, it wasn't the next thing that happened, that it really happened way back here, because when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 8, all of those events happened over here. <laughs> so we're not going chronological. When the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. That's what. Because David, you'll see next week. Nope, not next week. In two weeks, you'll see that David is not resting from all of his enemies. He's going out and doing a whole lot of killing. <laughs> He's taking some territories and taking some land. But sometime after that, when David gave him rest from all his enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David didn't feel right. The, the ark is there. They brought it to Jerusalem. And, you know, they had the big old party and they had all the sacrifices and everybody got raisin cakes and steak. But David lives in this nice cedar house. Remember the... the um, Tyre, the, the carpenters from Tyre and the cedar wood from Lebanon that was so thick and so dense and so hard that you had to have specialist carpenters work with it. And so when the king of Tyre sent all this Lebanese cedar wood, he also sent all of these carpenters to come and build. So David gets this fortress made of the best, hardest uh rot-resistant, mold-resistant, bug-resistant wood in all of history. you got to have expert carpenters build it. He builds this house for King David on top of this peak of a mountain where Jerusalem is, so it's just impenetrable in multiple levels, right? And David is sitting there, and he's at peace, He's like, gosh, I, I have a really sweet house. Like, my house is really awesome. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts is in a tent down the street. Like, what in the world? What is the matter here? And he has this genuine conflict. This is not right. And he says to Nathan, who's probably there with him, Nathan the prophet, Nathan's going to show up later, but remember, this is not in the right order, so this could actually be the second time that Nathan gets mentioned and not the first time. Does that make sense? This might actually happen after the other time we hear from Nathan. That's what I'm trying to say. So Nathan says, do it. Go for it. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart. The Lord is with you. Like i got no, no objections on that. Go for it. 
But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. So Nathan the prophet, just off the cuff, was like, you know what? That sounds great, David. Go for it. But that night, Nathan is asleep, and he gets a vision from the Lord, and it changes, changes the decision. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up my people Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Basically saying, Remember all the judges? Remember Samson? Remember Gideon? Did I ever tell any of those guys, Hey, build me a house? No. God doesn't need a house. Otherwise, he would have asked Samson to... Samson would have built a pretty awesome house, right? I mean, the dude tore down the whole Philistines thing. Yeah. So now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on earth. So God is reiterating, dude, you were a shepherd. Like all you ever saw was the backside of sheep. And that was your whole day, every day. And I took you from there, and I have put you to be prince over my people. I love it that God calls David the prince, because who's the king? God's the king. <laughs> just just so you remember your place, peasant. <laughs> You're the prince. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so they may dwell in their own place, be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you... Okay, so God says all this stuff about Israel. Your kingdom, the, the country that you're king over, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to take care of them, all this stuff. But now, David, let's talk about you. So God gets specific. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You want to make me a house? I'm gonna, I don't need a house, but you need a house, and I'm going to make you one. So at first you think, I mean, I'm in this nice cedar house built by carpenters from Tyre. God's not talking about that kind of house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about like the house of Sullivan. Not just 851, right? Not just our address, not just our old house that we live in, but your house, as in your family line, your people. He, your descendants, <clears throat> I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is so, like if you just really slow down and think about it, like you think about all the great things you want to do, right? 
But then, when you really start to look at the Lord, and you start to look at the people around you, and this really does happen, right? When you get a chance for a to help a younger person accomplish something, you almost put away your desire to accomplish the thing, and you almost want that person that's that's learning after, and it doesn't have to be one of your kids necessarily. I'm just saying there's a there's something about helping the next generation accomplish the thing that you didn't. And you could have accomplished it, but it, as you start to sow into some other person and to help some other person accomplish things, you start to realize it's going to be better if they do it than it ever would have been if I did it. This is that little principle happening, right? God is like, David, you're awesome. I love you a whole bunch. But I'm going to help you help your son build a house for me. That's not your job. Whoa. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The other flip side of that is, Gosh, don't you want your kids to do awesome? Like these young, a young person that you're helping, don't you want them to succeed? And God promises David, okay, your throne, I'm going to establish it. But I'm going to take this dude, and he's going to build it, and his throne's going to be established. It's like, wow, yes. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. Okay, David, your descendant is actually going to mess up. But I'm not going to reject him like I rejected Saul. He's going to get disciplined. Pain's going to come, but he's still going to be king. My steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God repeats himself. I'm going to establish, your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, David spoke, Nathan spoke to David. Wow. So God says, look, this feeling that you have that you don't deserve to live in this awesome cedar house while I live in a tent is valid. But that's humility. That is humility that you feel. And it is pure and it is pious and it is holy. And I want to respond to that. And my response is going to be, I'm going to take care of you. Did you notice there's two times in here where it says, my servant David. My servant David. Um, he says, go and tell. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. We don't catch it because it just says my servant David. And that's great, right? There's only one other place in the Old Testament where somebody gets this title that David gets here. So it's not just like my servant. It's like whatever the words are. It's like this guy has a very special spot 
that not everybody, there's a whole lot of people that serve the Lord in the Old Testament, but there's only two of them that get this title, my servant. Can you guess who it is? You're thinking already, you're going, you're like, it's going to be somebody obscure, like Zephaniah, son of Hilkiah. I made that up. It's Moses. So all of a sudden, if you're reading this, and you're, it's the original time, or if you're around and there's Nathan, and he says, go tell my servant David. You're like, oh, okay, wait. The only person that's ever been given this title before was Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, who went to Mount Sinai and saw God face to face and gave us the law and established, and everybody wants to be like Moses. Like the hero of all heroes. None of the judges stack up to Moses. None of the prophets have shown up yet. All the books of the prophets are going to come in like 400 years. But now David, Joshua wasn't even... There's places where it says, my servant Joshua, it does not use the highest phrase that it uses here to talk about Moses and David. So David isn't even on a level with Joshua. He's up there with Moses. Wow. And God says, I'm going to establish you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And there are, there are a lot of people that think as uneventful as this chapter is compared to all the other events we've been having, that this is one of the most important chapters of the whole Bible. Because this promise, you, David, are go I'm going to establish your throne forever. The only way a throne could be established forever would be if someone could come and sit on that throne that would never die. And so if that is to be fulfilled, somebody has to come that can beat death. And we're 554 pages into my Bible, and nobody's beat death yet, except for Enoch, and that was weird, and nobody's sure what he was doing. <laughs> so somebody is going to come because of this promise. God says, I'm going to send somebody, and I will establish your throne forever. At this point, a lot of people thought the next king after David was going to be that Messiah king. That the that Whichever one of David's sons was going to rise to the throne and be established, and this would be it, and it would be perfect forever. And we know that didn't happen, right? So this is like 600, no, no, further. This is like 1,000 B.C. And about 1,000 B.C., this promise comes that King David... You are the king, and you are, gosh, you really, God says, you love me so much, you are so devoted, I'm just going to establish, this is just what I wanted in a king, and I'm going to establish your throne, and I'm going to make this just last and last, and one day, one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. Let's jump ahead about a thousand years. Now we're at about 
30 AD. It is Lamb Selection Day. It's the day where everybody is supposed to go to Jerusalem, everybody that's able, every man that can show up, go to Jerusalem and pick out a lamb. It has to be perfect lamb. can't have a gimpy leg. It can't have a scar. It can't have any kind of infection or disease or illness. It has to be a year old. So now you're talking last year, some sheep or goat had to give birth and they had to take care of that sucker for the whole year and make sure it was all right for a whole year. So shepherds have a very important job, right? Make sure all the sheep are all right. You get one sheep for every 10 people in your household. So think that through for a minute. How many people you're going to have to your Easter lunch or how many people you, you had dinner with last night or whatever. You got one sheep for every 10 people. That's a lot of meat, you guys. That's, that's some good eating. Like we're, we're going to be full. <laughs> and you have to burn up all the leftovers. Nobody goes home with Tupperwares. No aluminum foil. No. You either eat it all or you burn it on the grill. Forget it. Eat it all. So everybody comes to Jerusalem to pick out their lamb. You've got to keep it for about four to seven days. You're going to keep it at your house for a week. And you're going to make sure it doesn't get bumped or bruised or hurt or cut in that week. And then Passover, you're going to kill it and eat it and feast. So that day, all these people are in Jerusalem. They might go to Jerusalem, buy their sheep, and then go back to their homes. Some of them, if they've got family and places to stay or they like camping in the street, they might stay all week, but it's crowded. It's like fall festival crowded. And word gets out that the prophet from Nazareth, he's coming. He must be coming to pick out a lamb. He must be coming to town to pick out a sheep. Did you hear what he did? Did you hear what? Did you hear about the miracles? Did you hear? Oh, my cousin Ricky, he got to eat, and they all ate fish and bread out on this countryside one day. Oh my goodness! And the word spreads, and everybody gets excited. So you get Matthew twenty-one is where we're going. When they drew near to, uh, and Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem, knowing full well that when he goes there, he's gonna get killed. He knows that he is going to die. And that did not make him not go. Matthew 21. When they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. That whole just exchange just totally cracks me up. They're basically stealing two cars. Okay? Next time you're out stealing a car, so the police come and they say, hey, don't steal that car. You can say, oh, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs this Maserati. The Lord needs this car. And they sent them. It's so great because it just shows there's all kinds of times that Jesus went out on his own went out by himself and prayed, and 
John says if you wrote down in books everything that Jesus did, all the, the whole world wouldn't hold all the books. Jesus was doing something else in Jerusalem. He knew people that the disciples didn't know, and they were like, Jesus was like, hey, the, you have really good colts. Your, your donkeys are really awesome. Can I borrow one of them sometime? They're like, anytime, Jesus. These guys show up. Hey, why are you taking that donkey? The Lord needs it. That moment of the... Uh, <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, all right, dude, take it. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus is fulfilling this, uh, I think it was Zechariah, hundreds years old prophecy. Not coming on a war horse, not walking, but riding in, in just about the most peaceful animal you could ride in on. The disciples went, as Jesus directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt, they put it on their cloaks, they put their cloaks over it to make a saddle, right? And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so people are suddenly just spontaneously realizing this guy is fulfilling, say, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. Were there people riding donkeys in Jerusalem on that day? All over the place. Gazillions. They're, I mean, they might be loading sheep. They might be loading food and straw to feed their sheep for the week. Something stuck out. Some people realized this, this Jesus is riding on a donkey. He's a perfectly able man. He's probably a stud, strong carpenter guy. Isaiah says he wasn't handsome, but he's probably tough enough that he could walk. Why is he riding on a donkey? Because he's a king. Well, here comes the king. And they start to realize it. And they, and they see the streets of Jerusalem and they're like, the king is worthy and the king is holy and the king is sent by God. I don't even want him to, to dirty the feet of his donkey's I don't even want his donkey's feet to get dirty with the dirty streets of Jerusalem. And they start taking their coats off and laying it down to make a pathway out of just respect and honor. They start coming. They start cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds that went before him and that followed him started shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. Our salvation is happening today. Today is Salvation Day. I can't even. It's like it's like um, V. You know, V Day. It's like the end of World War II Day. Um, I don't even know how to describe what it is. It's some horrible, horrible burden that has been put on us for a long, long time. You know, it's it's like the first time we're back in church in person after COVID. You know, it's like. Ah, this is the day. This is it. And they start shouting. And it's so funny, most Bibles don't translate the word Hosanna because it would be kind of hard because, you know, you might have heard it's save now, but it's like salvation is now happening. 
it is imminent. It's it's happening. It's not a. It, it's sort of a do it now, like do it. But it's also a sort of it's it it, it is happening as we're saying it. This is happening right now. Salvation is happening. We are getting saved. It's the son of David. It's the fulfillment of the 2 Samuel 7 covenant that God will put a king, a descendant of David, on the throne forever. And there he is. And we can see him. I mean, I don't need my coat anymore because the end of the world is happening, so to speak. Throw it down. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There's another prophecy about uh, the Messiah coming on the mountains and how good how good on the on the mountains are the feet of those that bring good news that your king has come, that your king reigns. This is happening right now. They're all saying, This is it. This is all the prophecies of Isaiah are happening right now. This is the moment. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Okay, so Josephus said that at the time, he's a historian from this time period. He said that at the Passover, there were 250,000 sheep slaughtered for the Passover. 250,000 sheep slaughtered. There's one sheep for every 10 people. So there's millions, over a million, I mean millions and millions of people that is super, super crowded. And the whole city is stirred up. I know, I don't know, this must have had an impact on me. Remember when the president came to Evansville and there were police everywhere? Sometimes in our neighborhood, there'll be a high-speed car chase or something. And we'll look down the street, and there's police at that end of the block, and there's police at that end of the block, and we can hear the police. You know, we turn on the police scanner to see what's going on. What are they? Everybody was stirred up. Just this massive. Um, it's almost on the scale. You know, um, when there there was a, a sheriff recently, a sheriff's deputy that died, and they were talking about the motorcade that was going to be going, and it was just like. If you're anywhere in this part of town, just forget about it. Because all the traffic is just going to be the city of Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day is stirred up. And all the crowds are hearing about this. And they're saying, who is this? And the crowds are saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The kids are shouting. Son of David! Yeah! Anybody that ever got a speeding ticket, anybody that ever got abused by a Roman guard, anybody that ever had to pay taxes, is just like, yeah! Oh, Jesus entered the temple. I'm going to skip all that. No, I'm not. He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned tables and money changers. Seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. 
And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. <laughs> Let's all go to Jerusalem. Let's get a lamb for Passover. Do you want to come with me? Oh, if we take him along, he's blind. It's going to slow us down. It's going to be so much more difficult to take, you know, oh, take this guy along. Let's take him anyway. Here you go, uncle. You're blind. It's hard. Just sit down right here because we got to pick out a lamb and it's really complicated. But it'd be better if you just sat here and just you're in the outer courts of the Lord. Just worship right here. Blind uncle sitting there. All of a sudden, here's a whole bunch of ruckus, a whole bunch of pigeons flying over the place, a bunch of guys yelling, change and coins flying everywhere, people shouting at Jesus. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. You're a blind guy. You've heard about some other blind people getting healed. You kind of wonder, I wonder if this is this guy that I've heard about. Because good grief, it sounds like he's got a whip. He's running all kinds of animals out of the temple courtyard. Nobody is stopping him. And then Jesus comes over and he's like, Hey, Uncle so-and-so, are you blind? I am. Not anymore you aren't. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests, who were losing money as everybody was running out, and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and all the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! Rome's going to get theirs! We win! Hosanna to the Son of David! The Pharisees were indignant, and they said, Do you hear what these people are saying? <laughs> it's like, Jesus is like, got a whip, and sweating, and like, Argh! <laughs> Healed a whole bunch of people. Do you hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Oh, you guys haven't read the Bible, have you? I love it when Jesus says stuff like this. Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? <laughs> I just can't convey to you how stupid Jesus made them feel. It is the biggest cut. Like, oh, you guys, you haven't ever read the Bible, have you? Well, it says in the, there's this book that's a recorded with scrolls of the prophets. And it's, I mean, he's so condescending, you guys. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Even little kids are going to worship the son of David. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Palm Sunday is so exciting and so and Now I regret that I didn't have all the noisemakers and the New Year's horns and all that business. It's so exciting because 2 Samuel 7 is coming true on Palm Sunday. And they're all watching it. And they've all been waiting for it for a thousand years. David's response. So now we got to go back to 2 Samuel 7. Thing that's awesome about God's covenant with David, there was no conditions in there. When when God made a, a covenant with Moses, He said, "If you follow me, I will be your God, and you will be my people. If you keep my laws, I will be your God, and I will 
you will be my people. There was no ifs in that covenant with David. It was because you have, you, you love me so much, I'm going to make all this covenant with you. And I'm going to do this, and God says I'm going to do this, and God says I'm going to do this. And the guy that's receiving this covenant, he's going to mess up some, but I'm never going to reject him. Wow. King David went in and he sat before the Lord. He hears this from Nathan. He runs out of his house. He runs down the street. He goes into the temple or into the tent. Sits down before the Lord and he says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me so far? Yet this was a small thing. This thing that you've just done to give me a throne that will last forever is a small thing. You've spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. What, what can I say to you, God? You have done it. You have done all these things. Because of your promise, according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. And he goes on and on, all the way down. It's in reading this that you realize that none of the Psalms are written. Like we look, I mean, we sing songs today that come from the Psalms. We look at the Psalms and we, and we pray them. David is the author of most of the Psalms. And this is the attitude he was in when he wrote a lot of them. Wow, God, you have done everything. He also has this attitude of what could I possibly do to add to your acts? If I think that I could do some good deed to make God save me more, I'm just, I'm just kicking poo on God. Because he has done it all. He has done so much. I don't even want the feet of the donkey that he rides on to touch the dirt. He has done so much for me. And that's David's attitude. Skip down to verse 26. Your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. You have made this. You have done this, Lord. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. You have promised this good thing to your servant. David is saying, I believe everything you say, God. I'm not going to even question it. I'm not going to ask for proof. And he does this awesome thing. He says, you have spoken with your blessing. The house of your servant will be blessed forever. David doesn't have to go back ever again and ask God to bless him. This has all been enough. But God's going to keep on doing it. It is this unconditional covenant with David that I'll put somebody on your throne. And then that person that gets put on the throne is going to rule over all of us. Of all who believe in him, all who call on his name, we get to be recipients of that covenant. We get to be in Christ. And so we get to be in him as long as we, if only we, once we, 
go to the Last Supper. Jesus says, this is the blood of a covenant, a covenant in my blood. At one point in the dinner, he says, if you love me, you'll do my commands. And his commands are to love one another. Not 613 things, not about where to step on Sunday. None of that. Love one another. And so, the promise from a thousand years ago gets fulfilled. No, 3,000 years ago gets fulfilled in Christ on Palm Sunday. Christ will live it out and fulfill all that. Next week, we're just going to talk about Easter. We're going to leave 2 Samuel. And we're going to let Easter be Easter. And then we'll come back to see how the son, how David, of whom Jesus is the son of David, will uh, continue his reign as king. So, Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your covenant love that you showed to Moses, your servant Moses, to rescue your people, to your servant David, to rule over your people, and to your servant Jesus to save your people and to be with us. Lord, drive these things home. Help us to really, when everything in the world wants us to forget about your covenant, help us to see that you are with us and your covenant is still holding true. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing number 42 together.
Know that God's covenant with David applies to you. You are in Christ, and he is establishing his kingdom through you even this week. God bless you. All right, thank you. Just plain old Easter. We got it.